Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. For the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiant. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened to me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, save now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath shown us light. Uh, Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let us pray. 
Lord, as we dwell upon your word tonight, sink it deep into our hearts, we pray. Bring us under your will. Fill us with the inspiration from your throne. Touch any lost soul that there might be a yielding to you. Touch saved souls that we might respond to you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're not told who wrote this psalm, but probably it was David since he wrote the majority of the psalms. And you probably know that this was the songbook of the church, the Old Testament. These words were set to music. Many of them were chanted. Many times they did it in parts. And that is, one group would sing a phrase and the other group would respond to it. And sometimes they did it by one choir getting on a hillside and on the opposite hillside another choir would assemble. One choir would sing a phrase and the other choir would respond. Uh, quite a beautiful way of doing it. I have been exposed to a little bit of that kind of music. But uh, I'm not sure that I'd be very capable of doing it, but I do know from what I've experienced, it's quite a beautiful way of presenting the message. And indeed, this psalm, like many of them, stemmed from all of the problems and difficulties that the Hebrew people had experienced in their lifetime, from the exile and all the way through until they had become a nation and even after that. And I think we might say that the overall theme of this message that is contained here is that even out of difficulty, we can achieve victory. In our personal lives, I think that we can attest to the fact that there are times when we thought things were the blackest, that we were just on the horizon of some tremendous success. That always pops into my mind when I am extremely discouraged and don't know quite what to do next is I remember, I don't know how I ever started doing it, but it is constant in my life that I remember those times when I thought everything was lost to just discover right around the next bend was what I was after. And it gives me encouragement to plug on, even in times of extreme discouragement, believing that the Lord has led us and led me through difficult times simply to bring me to a point of tremendous victory. I, I will have to admit that I don't always uh, trust the Lord enough to believe that the next turn is going to be that point in my life when the victory is going to come. And I'm sure that we all have our discouragements. And I think that we all at times question the wisdom of God. That's human nature. Because we can't seem to understand why do we have to put up with and go through all of these things and have these difficulties, sicknesses and, and all the things that happen and we don't seem to understand until we get to that point, somewhere down the road where there is a point of victory. 
But this psalm comes through, I think, loud and clear of pointing to Christ. And I want to say three things about what the psalm says that deals with Christ. Number one, I'm going to point out to you here in this passage of Scripture the verses that says that Jesus Christ is the Christ who cares. He does care. And we say to him, does Jesus care? And all the questions that we ask in that particular hymn, and then we come back with the refrain, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. And how are we capable of making such a firm statement right after we have asked those doubting questions? Is there a God? And if there is, why all of these things? And we almost have a, a, a desire or a tendency to, to lose our faith and say, I don't believe this stuff anymore, when he comes forth with a victory in our lives, and then we know that he has been in it all the time, and he's concerned, and does care. So that's point number one, and we'll look at that. Point number two is that Jesus is the Christ of our salvation. There is no other way to be saved, save through Christ. And point number three, Jesus is the Christ who is loyal. Everybody else may forsake us, but the Lord Jesus will never, never. And we may feel alone, like many of the prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm sure even Jesus himself, when he was in the garden, felt alone, only to discover that he was not alone, that God was there with him. All right, now, with that as background, Consider the fact that we are talking about the Hebrew people being in a period of extreme distress and darkness and difficulty and find that out of it they had victory. The same kind of experience that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed all night long and sweat drops of blood in his prayer for us as he faced singly and along with all of those difficulties of deciding as to what he was going to do about the cross, and then discover that Easter morning came. And he does live. He lived, and he was alive at the time, and he's alive now, and he'll be alive tomorrow. There is no dead God in my life, and I hope there's no dead God in yours. He is alive, and Jesus is the one who cares. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7. I call upon the Lord when? In distress. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Now, there's some interesting things there that I, I want you to notice. The word distress jumps out at you. When did he call upon the Lord? In times of distress, when did you and when do I call upon the Lord? In times of distress. If we don't, we've missed a blessed opportunity to get relief from our stress. Now, there are people who do not call on the Lord when things get distressful. As if the Lord doesn't care or is unconcerned about their distress. Now, Let's look at the word distress a bit. That word can have two meanings. And these two meanings make that word very important for us 
and will explain the latter portion, portion of the verse when he says he set me in a large place. And this is why I'm going to labor the issue here a little bit so that, that you can see this. One of the meanings of the word distress is the idea of being squeezed into a very narrow place where you have no maneuverability. Some people are very much afraid of being put in a tight place. Are any of you, what's that called? Claustrophobia. Do any of you have claustrophobia? You cannot stand to be squeezed into a tight place. You're afraid of elevators. I know people who will not ride an elevator because of the closeness of it, for fear of being caught on it. Have you ever been caught on an elevator? It's about between floors and there seemed to be nobody around. I've had that occasion uh, a few times. I used to work in an office building late at night all by myself. There was one thing I did not do late at night, and that was I did not go down on the elevator. I walked the stairs. My reason was I knew that that elevator had a tendency to stop in most inappropriate places, and I did not want to stay all night in that elevator. I was really afraid of it. So it's the idea, I'm not, I don't have claustrophobia, but it is the idea of being put into a position where you feel squeezed. Now, families have a tendency to do that to each other, to, to members of the family. And I'm sure that you can think back in your memory when you felt like your mom and dad or your brothers and sisters or somebody in your family was really putting you in the squeeze. They were giving you no choice. It was a real tight situation or on the job. I get extremely frustrated at people try, trying to squeeze me on the job, and I get squeezed continually on the job. It's nothing in my particular position for somebody to go to the county commission or call the governor's office to try to make me do something that I'm determined that I'm not going to do. They don't understand that that makes me more stubborn and determined to stick to my guns, and the squeezing... Uh, will not succeed, but I feel that pressure. And you do as well. When somebody is trying to make you do what you don't want to do, we have the same thing in health. When we have difficulty with our health, when we can't walk like we want to walk, we've got a broken leg, or, or we have back trouble, or all the various things that happen to us, when the doctor says, you're signed to the flat of your back, for a long period of time, I was assigned to the flat of my back for six weeks one time. I felt the squeeze. I didn't want to be there. And all of this happens. There's no room to turn. Somebody's pushing and pressing and demanding against our will and what we think is honest and right. There's no way to turn. One of my programs that I used to, a program that I used to watch religiously, I don't anymore, is Hee Haw. I haven't had a chance to watch that for a long time, but I always like to listen to those guys sing, Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Remember that? This is the squeeze that... Uh, brings us sometimes to despair, and because of this, there are suicides in our country. As a result of squeezing, when people feel that there positively is no way out. All right, that's one meaning of the word distress, is being put in a position where you're squeezed, and that creates a distressful situation. 
the other situation uh, is the feeling of being surrounded. Very similar, but has some differences to it. That is that you feel that somebody is out to get you. There are enemies on every side, such as might be have found at, say, at the Alamo, or in some other battle, or when even in modern times, when uh, the sergeant calls on the radio for reinforcements, and some of you men have been there, and uh, the guy on the other end of the radio says that there is none coming. There's going to be no air support, there are no tanks available, there are no infantry that can get there, and that small battalion or, or group that are there are alone, they're on their own, they have nobody to fall back upon, they face the enemy themselves, and they know they're going to die because they're outgunned, they're outnumbered, they are in a stressful situation, and it is the predicament of being surrounded, and you can't get out. Well, that's despair. When you feel like you're alone and everybody is against you. I don't remember how it goes. The kids used to sing, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat worms. How's that? Is that the way it goes, Pam? I felt that way many times. I got a grandson that would do it. He'd literally eat the worms. I don't know if he knows the song, but he'll eat the worms. We felt that, haven't we? Surrounded. What's the use? Throw up our hands, quit. And people do that. Began to, to, as we say, tuck their tail and run because they cannot face the pressure. That's distress. And he said that he, the author here of Psalm 118, says that he was in distress, but he did not despair. Why? Because the Lord is on my side. Did you see those words? Jesus cares. He is dependable. When everybody else forsakes us, the Lord is going to be there. Now, the words the Lord is on my side is in verse 6. Well, I failed to, fail to bring in the large place. Let, let me back up to that, just, to, just so you can uh, get the clear, uh, clearing of that. We have talked about being squeezed and surrounded. And what happens is that more and more of the pressures come in upon us of work, of, of family, of church, of whatever. And we begin to be squeezed. And what the Lord does is he delivers us from that tight, squeezing experience and puts us in a large place where there's plenty of room. So we do, the point is, so that we no longer are under that stress. He will take us out of the stressful situation and give us a large room to live in instead of that little old squeezed-up elevator or surrounded position that we might have. That's the meaning there when he says that he will put us in a large place. All right, verse 6. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. I think he could well have added, and we find it added throughout the scripture, the Lord is not always on our side unless we're on the right side. He won't be there. Don't expect the Lord to defend you when you're wrong. 
He will be there for support and encouragement to get you out of those situations. But the Lord is not going to be on your side and your side if those two sides are in opposition to each other. We're wrong. And the Lord is not going to be on both of those sides. And you've heard that said more than one time by many different people who are opposed to each other. We're on the right side. The Lord's with us. Don't you believe it? The Lord's going to be on the side that's right, whichever one that might be if there are two opposing situations there. But making the assumption that we have our ducks in order that our life is as it ought to be, that we are apt to please God and Him alone, then we can find the Lord is on our side, and as a consequence, we do not need to fear, he says in verse 6. We don't need to fear. And then he asks the question, What can man do unto me? There is nothing a man can do to another man when the Lord is on your side. You see, I said to somebody some weeks ago, right here in this church, that you and the Lord makes a majority. That's all there is to it. And if we are right in our thinking, and the Lord is on our side, we can stand up to whatever comes, for the Lord is with us. Now, it does not mean that the Lord is going to support us in everything we do, if our ideas are wrong, if our intentions are wrong. But it does mean that God is with us when we're right. It means you can squeeze me as tight as you want to squeeze. You can surround me with all of the forces that you want to surround and you will not be powerful enough to make me surrender. That's what that means. Because in the elevator with God there is space. On that hill with the enemy surrounding us there is security for God is there. Now, I think we, like Job, can say we may not understand it all, but we're not going to budge. Why are we not going to budge? Because the Lord is with us. If our thinking is right. All right. First point, Jesus is the Lord who cares. Point number two comes from down verse 19, but I want to read, I want you to look at verse 18 before we go to 19. And I know there's lots of stuff in between that we probably ought to deal with, and I'm not going to do tonight. But I want you to look at verse 18, which is not a part of the sermon, but I just couldn't over, uh, overlook it. This afternoon, late, as I was going over my notes, I had to underline this verse. I'm not going to preach from it, but I want you to look at it. The Lord hath chastened me sore. Let me tell you, when the Lord gives you a whipping, you're going to get sore. And that's exactly what that means. But, he puts the word but in there, but he has not given me over unto death. He's going to whip me, but I live. We're saved. 
will live, we may have to undergo the chastening of the Lord and be sore until he gets us straightened out. Okay, verse 19. He asked the Lord something to open. He says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I'll go in. What's he going to do when he gets in there? I'll praise the Lord. You know, that in those olden days, the cities were, were surrounded with a tremendous wall, and there was a certain gate that the cargo would go in, the camels and all of that, and then there was a, a little door to the side, a little gate to the side where a person could walk through. There were guards at those gates because the cities were vulnerable to attack, and when you came to the gate, they would open the gate for you, and you would go in. And inside, you would find security. Then when you left the gate, you went out into the outside world, outside the protection of the walls of the city, and you were somewhat vulnerable out there to attack or to being mugged or whatever might take place out there. Now, he's got this idea when he's, he's saying, I'm outside the wall. And what I'm asking God is that you open to me the door, and he calls it the door of righteousness. The way into the presence of God is, to be, is through righteousness. We cannot enter God's presence in our own filthiness. We must enter the presence of God because we have been cleaned up by Jesus Christ himself. And the door that is open, and Jesus said that I am the door of the sheep, and my sheep hear my voice and will go in and out and find pasture. They're going in. For what purpose? They're going in there to be fortified, to be built up, to be given assurance, to, be, to arm themselves so that when they go out, they can meet the enemy wherever he is and be successful. I think sometimes we don't realize that one of the purposes of the church is to be a fortress into which we can come and there be fortified to go back out. We ought to be stronger after being here for a worship service and know that we have come into the presence of God through the gate of righteousness and while we're in there, what are we going to do? But verse 19 says, I will praise the Lord. There is strength in praising God. There's strength in that. If you come in here and go back out without praising God, you have lost the benefit of tremendous strength. We're all going to go out. And we're going out there to meet the devil, our enemy, and all of his cohorts. We need to, first of all, come into the walled city of God through a gate called righteousness, there that we might be inspired and filled and strengthened so that when we go out, we have the strength to do it. And so the psalmist prays that God would open to him the gates. And he said, I'll go in there, I'm in there, I will praise the Lord. Verse 20, this gate of the Lord, he says, into which the righteous shall enter. A little bit of grammar problems there with the old King James, but it simply identifies the fact that he calls that the gate of the Lord. 
and the righteous enter into the presence of the Lord through the gate of the Lord. And we all know that we do not get into the presence of God except coming through Jesus Christ, who is that gate. All right, let's go on. Verse 22. Let's not pass over this without looking at it. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. And you know that's referring to Jesus. The people refused, rejected Jesus Christ. They cast him off as of no value, such as would happen in the building of any, any structure. And I'm sure that we have done it as we built here. We have cast aside some piece that we thought was of no value and laid outside. And then later we went looking for it because it was the very piece we needed to complete a specific project. We do that all the time in building. Jesus Christ has been rejected by the world. He's been cast aside as of no value. And he's saying, this stone that the world has cast aside has become the headstone of the corner. In other words, the most important piece in the structure. Now, I suppose we all know that. But there are lots of people who don't. He became the key to the foundation of our life. Now, let me make a statement. And we'll move on. Either Jesus is the foundation of our life or he is a stumbling block to us. One or the other. He is the important ingredient to the foundation of our life that we cannot get along without or we're going to stumble over him. And there are lots of people who are stumbling over Jesus Christ and rejecting him when he is the most important piece of the puzzle to a person's life. All right, thirdly, Jesus is the Christ of loyalty. Look at verse 26. He said, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You've heard those words quoted from the New Testament as well. That was at the time... Uh, well, there are other times, but one time at the triumphal entry when the people went into the city singing and praising and they were shouting Hosanna. Go back to verse 25. Save now. That's what Hosanna means. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord. Save now. The triumphal entry cried for salvation. And then a few days later, they rejected it. Blessed is he that cometh. The word cometh, of course, is a King James or uh, 1611 language. We don't say cometh anymore, but it has a pretty good meaning here. It's the idea of a person who gives his word and then who fulfills his promise. In other words, Jesus said throughout the Old Testament, I am coming. And then here is his coming, and he was saying, I told you I would, and now here I am. Jesus promised that he would come, and he did come. Now, 
He said, I go away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He has made his promise. Jesus cometh. To use the old King James. Meaning, he has said he will, and in fact, he will. What he says he will do, he will do. So where is our hope? Do we need to despair as we face the problems and traumas of life? Or can we find in Christ something that gives us security? I think we can learn from this particular passage three things now. That Christ is, Jesus is the Christ who does care. He's not way off somewhere. He is available. Secondly, Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. Without him, there is no salvation. And thirdly, he is loyal. He said, I will never forsake you, and he meant it. He said, I will come to save you, and he did. He says, I will come back to receive you, and he will. There is no doubt. No doubt. We're here tonight, I hope, all of us, because we believe that. But there is no doubt that Jesus is the solid rock of our foundation. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.